So I was told, I got 45 minutes today and no more. Thank you, Michael. I watched him play hockey yesterday for over an hour, so I told him he gets to watch me for an hour today. So, we'll just make it even. About a month and a half ago, I woke up in the early morning, way too early for me, about 4.30, and God said to me as I woke up, the great divide is here. And I go, okay. So in my sleepy stupor, I listen to God when he can talk to me the clearest, and Brent doesn't get in the way. And so I'm going to talk about that this morning, and what God is doing in the world today, and we see it in current events, the lawlessness, the COVID, and all of that stuff that's going on around us, right? And so this morning, I want to talk about that, and listen, COVID is not from heaven, okay? We understand that. It's out of the pit of hell. Lawlessness, there's a spirit of lawlessness the Bible talks about. It's not sent from God, but God allows those things to come, and he uses them. Satan thinks he's going to use them, but God interrupts it, and God takes it to a higher purpose than he does. Someday, Satan's going to catch on that every time he does something, he loses. He gets a little bit of victory, but God gets a lot more. So, we'll talk about the great divide and the shaking today, and it's more of a prophetic sermon, and that kind of scares me, because I'm afraid that's where God has me going more as... I quit this and move on to something else. In America, we know the Rockies, right? The Great Divide, the Continental Divide. Everything west of the Rockies flows to the Pacific Ocean. Everything east of the Rockies goes to the Mississippi. When we were in Minnesota and Wisconsin this year with Dwens, we passed a sign along the road, and if I'd known I was going to do this, I'd have stopped Dwens and we'd taken a picture of the sign. But it, it was a point along the road that says everything that flows west of here goes to the Mississippi, and everything that goes east goes into Lake Superior. It was the divide. There's a divide that is happening, and we see it in our nation, right? We're a pretty evenly split nation, 50-50 right, left, some of us in the middle, and so there's a lot of nasty things on Facebook, if you want to read them and see who can be the nastiest. Um, there's a great divide going on in the church. I used to hear people say, well, there has to be a huge falling away before Jesus comes. Well, I think I've seen it and am seeing it. The church, the church we used to be part of, the Mennonite church today, the conference used to be 150, 180 churches. It's down to 25 or 30 now because the Mennonite church can't take a stand on biblical issues. They, they say one thing and then they do another thing, and so churches just all flew away and formed their own thing that says the Word of God is our guideline, or is, a, is the Word of God, and that's what we follow. It's more than a guideline. We don't get to pick and choose. So there's a dividing in the church that's going on, and there's a dividing going on in our lives. We're moving into a time where God is calling for repentance from us who follow him and saying, it's time you get your mindsets biblical. It's time you get your lifestyles to be biblical and heavenly and start, we pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, but we don't really want to grab a hold of it because it takes a lot of trust to let heaven flow through you. Because that means your heart has to get straightened out and your thought life has to get straightened out. 
which means your pleasures and your affections have to become in alignment with God's pleasures and God's affections. And see, I like to follow God, but I want to hang on to my pleasures. I love comfort and pleasure. I want that in my life. And the Father says, my pleasures are better. So make your choice. And there's a lot of repenting we have to do. So that's kind of where we're going today with it. And we'll see where it ends up. When I put this thing together, it was like, oh, God, what am I doing? And as I've gone through it several times since then, it started to make sense to me, which often happens with what God does with me when I preach. Haggai, my favorite book in the Old Testament, because though it was to Israel 1,500 years ago, it's to us today. And God had a word to Haggai that just fits the church of North America so well. And we talked about this verse. We read it a, a month ago when I was preaching. So we're going to go with this this morning just to start us off. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. What does God shake? The heavens above us. The second heavens that we see. And there's shaking going to go on in that. And what that looks like, I don't know. You know, meteorites and blue moons and red moons and yellow moons and whatever. I don't know. It's going to be weird. And it already we've seen some things prophetically that are really neat with blood moons. The earth. And on the earth, it's the dry land and the sea that's going to get shaken. In other words, there's going to be a thorough job of shaking going on. And, verse 7, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. I included that last verse because some people think the desire of the nations has to do with the silver and gold. I don't know what the desire of the nations means because when you read about it, everybody's got their own take on the desire of the nations. Some say it's Jesus. Some say it's the people of the nation. Some say it's the treasures of the nations. Okay, and it could be any or all of the above. I don't know. Yes, Jesus came and he was the desired of the nations. We know that. But I think it means more than that because I will shake all nations and the desired by all nations will come and I will fill my house with glory. When there are shakings, glory comes or a greater presence comes behind it. You can look in history and you will see with the revivals, culture many times was at its lowest. And then revival came and raised it up, whether it was England, whether it was United States, or whoever. Now, my own take on the culture is today around us that we're getting pretty bad off. Killing, killing millions of unborn babies, and if you would happen to say anything against that, you're canceled. You know, and that's what we've come as a culture. And there's a shaking that's going to go on in our nation, and there's a shaking going on in our churches that God's going to speak to us and have us repent of a lot of things, but a lot of some of those things are going to be our political enemies because we're not loving them and blessing them. We're criticizing and condemning them. That's the way the world operates. That's not the way the kingdom of heaven operates. We love our enemies. We bless them. We pray for them, right? And sometimes it's not fun. But as you do that, you will start to get the heart of God for that person or those people. Glory is coming. But the church is not prepared for the glory of God. 
it is sad when you read the history of revivals and how revivals end is because man gets his fingers in what God is doing. And he starts to use it for his own promotion. And then the Spirit of God lifts. God is looking for this next move of God to keep men's fingers out of it and let it be him. So superstars aren't very important in the next one that's coming. It's people like you and me that just live it and love people around us. So I will shake. God is a shaker. Let's just clarify this. God is a shaker. Satan is a shaker. And your own life will get shook sometimes because of the choices you make. Right? The consequences of those choices will come back on you and they will shake your life. And you're going to say, how did I get here? Well, if you just follow your thought patterns and your behaviors, bam, there's your answer. And you need to repent and you need to change that part of your life. It may not be a spiritual thing as far as, you know, attaching it to the Bible, but it's just a thought process you have and maybe it's generational and you need to say no. That's not right. I don't like the fruit it brings in my life, and you need to switch that and change to somebody else. Exodus 19, verses, verse 18. Another one of my favorite stories. My last sermon as pastor, so I get to choose out my favorite passages, right? I love Exodus 19 and through 34. Moses is my man. He had a heart for God, and we're going to see that a little bit later on. By the way, I read a Thing by Katie Waters this morning. Cherie likes Katie Waters. She's an old lady. And she's talking about Trump and a vision she had, a dream or whatever, years and years ago. And Trump met Moses on the beach. And Moses imparted some things to Trump. I just thought that was really cool because I like Moses. This is when God comes down three months after they leave Egypt and God comes down on Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. Whenever God descends, there's a shaking that's going to go on. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. There is this thread that runs through Scripture that when God shows up, things shake. Because this earth can't handle the weight, the glory of God. So God comes down on Mount Sinai to these people who have been slaves for generations and their whole mentality is victim and God shows up and these people don't know what to do with God. But God is shaking them because they have just said, oh God, yeah, we'll be your nation and we'll follow you and we'll do this and we'll do that. And so God has come to see what they're all about. Acts 4 the church is being persecuted, told not to preach the gospel anymore. What does the church do? It gathers together and it prays and seeks the face of God. As they're praying, the place is shaken. Okay, the presence of God comes. God's too big for that building. And he shakes it. We need to get ready for some shaking that's going to be physically around us too. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are whipped in Philippi. And they go to the prison and those crazy guys at midnight after being flogged 39 times and their backs are bleeding and it's painful and they're in an inner prison and they're bettered down are worshiping and praising God loudly and God comes to that prison and he shakes it. And the chains fall off and the doors fly open. The amazing thing to that story about me is the prisoners don't run away. They stay because this presence of God that came is touching their hearts in ways they have never been touched before.
The Church of Jesus Christ needs that kind of presence again in America and around the world. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and they said the mountain. First of all, notice they stayed at a distance. That's our trouble, is we stay at a distance with God instead of coming close. And when we stay at a distance with God, we don't understand what God is doing, right? Second Chronicles, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what to do, or knew the times and understood what to do. That's who I want to be. I want to be able to look at what God is doing and hear what God has. I want to be a man of solutions, not a complainer. Anybody can complain, that's easy. But it is certain people, the people who seek his face, that get solutions to what's going on. Moses, by the way, was one of those men. They stayed at a distance. They said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Do not have God speak to us or we will die. But this is where I want to go. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear or the reverence of God will keep you from sinning. The shaking, the appearance of God on the mountain was all about to test these people who say, oh yeah, we want to be God's nation, God's treasured possession. But when God starts to reveal just a little bit of himself, they run and stay at a distance. But one man walked up that mountain with dread and fear of dying to meet God at the top. He withstood the shaking. He got past his physical eyesight and he knew on top of the mountain there was a God who was calling him, and he went up on top of that mountain to meet God. The shaking in this instance was to test the people to reveal to not, well, God didn't need it, but to reveal to the people what they were really about. And all he had to do was send a little bit of something that would cause fear in them, and they would respond to that fear, and they would quit their pursuit of God and get away in a distance. COVID's all over the place. In the nations and in the world, how do we respond to it? Do we live in peace and wisdom, or do we respond in fear? And how does that fear affect our spiritual walk with God? Because if you're afraid of COVID, you're going to be afraid to get close to God. Because he's a whole lot bigger than COVID is. All I'm doing is flashing when I punch the button, Jonathan. Ah, there we go. So Hebrews 12 kind of takes the last two things I've talked about and puts them together in a passage. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Man, the value of the voice of God in our life. How highly do we value the voice of God? Amen? I want to hear what God's got for me. I want to hear what God, especially right now, a transition in my life, I need to hear his voice and what I'm doing and where I'm going. The Church of the United States has got to learn to value the voice of God. Part of that is getting into the Word and knowing what the Word says so we know the character of God and what's from heaven and what's from hell, what's from the kingdom of heaven, and start to apply it in our lives. See to it that we do not refuse him who speaks if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? How does God warn us from heaven? Well, shaking is part of that. We'll talk more about that. But God warns us through heaven, through the Holy Spirit, and through the Word, and through His moving in our lives and other people's lives. He sends other Christians to us that would call us into the kingdom, right? There's a myriad of ways that God speaks to us. 
if they refused him back at Mount Sinai when he showed up on the mountain and spoke to them because he audibly gave them the Ten Commandments, today we are called from heaven and talked to. And we need to heed that and listen to that. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, here we go to Haggai, Haggai, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is the created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. What I want to pick out of here is the principles of shaking. Okay, this, this may be talking about when Jesus comes again or when Jesus has already come. I'm not sure the context. Once again, you read other people, they have all kinds of ideas. But what I'm after is, what is shaking about? And why should we be thankful for the shaking going on in our life? Because shaking removes the things that can be shaken off of us, right? The temporal things. Listen, I'm not against pleasure and I'm not against comfort. You know that. I'm not against things in this world. I don't think we ought to run off and start a little group and just all hide in there and never get out in the world. But there is this kingdom of heaven that is available to us, that Jesus died for us to enter. Salvation's just the doorway into it. There's so much more. And shaking comes so that it starts to drop the temporary things in my life that are only going to be here for, you know, for me, 15, 20 years, maybe 25 years. So I view it differently than I did when I was 20, you know. But for 80 years, and they're gone. The shaking comes and starts to drop those things off of us. The things that can be removed start getting removed if you're hungry after God. He lets the shaking come to help us to see what needs to drop off and to give him permission to take it away. James 1 says, count it pure joy when you go into tribulations and trial because he's completing and maturing you. Complete joy, pure joy when you're being shaken. When trials and tribulations come in our lives, most North American Christians aren't like that. I'm still trying to become one of those pure joy guys. But sometimes the complaining. God's been working in my mouth for about four years and really getting on me about it. The words and the opinions I have. Even if I don't speak the opinions, he takes them on now. I only am allowed to carry the opinions of heaven. And I'm not very good at it, okay? This is a long transition going on in my life. The indication of removing what can be shaken. We all cry out for revival, for a move of God. But I want to tell you that move is going to cost. Okay? And it's going to cost a lot of temporary stuff that is in your life. Because when the move of God comes, this building and many other buildings are going to be open every day of the week. And every night of the week. And it's going to cost fathers and mothers in the kingdom time to come and help disciple and love on and pray for and listen to the stories of people who don't look right and don't smell right. And God's going to ask you to go sit, put your arm around them and love on them. You're going to walk down the street and God's going to give you a word for somebody and fear is going to rise up in you and you're going to have to step past that fear 
and get into the kingdom. And it might cost you your reputation. That's just temporary. It doesn't matter. The shaking that's going on today in the church and in our lives is so back in the late 60s, early 70s, we had the Jesus movement. For those of you who were alive, of which I was alive and a teenager in that time. And I thought it was so cool. But other people, Christians I knew who were older, this cannot be of God. Look, they have long hair. The Bible says a man should have short hair. They don't dress right. They play the guitars too much. You know, it was like people. They've run to Jesus. Let's take them and run with them. But there was this critical spirit, and it didn't last. Religious spirit, it didn't, the Jesus movement didn't last long enough. Well, we're starting to see that happen today. Is youth and other people are starting to come to know Jesus. They don't look very churchy. And either they're going to look churchy or the church is going to start looking more like they are. Not in terms of lifestyle sin, but they may dress differently than us. They may have a lot of tattoos and colored hair and they might stink a little bit, okay? Some of them have never been taught how to live because their parents are wiped out on drugs. And we're going to have to teach them how to live life and a whole lot worse than that. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. That's what we want, isn't it? The stuff that when the shaking comes is there when the shaking is done. See, what do you value? Do you value the things that when the shaking comes, they fall off, they're gone? Or do you value the things that after the shaking happens, they're still there? And you can put your life on it. See, joy and peace, shaking doesn't affect, does it? Amen? Come on. Joy and peace is not affected by circumstances and situations in the kingdom of heaven. When the shaking comes, we can still live in joy and peace. And when things that we think we love fall away from us and are taken away from us, we still have a father that loves us, a bridegroom that's waiting for us, a Holy Spirit living and having communion with us. And we got joy, peace, and righteousness and a whole lot of other stuff that really matters. You think the world today doesn't want our peace? They're looking to see What's different about you because you're not, you're not afraid and living in fear or you're not super rebellious and got to be out there saying, I'm not going to wear my mask. Rah, 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 rah. They just see you live in peace and they wonder what's going on with you and why you get to live that way and they don't. It's part of what God's doing in the church with COVID is he's exposing fear in churches' lives. Okay? It's all right to know what COVID's about and figure it out. But there comes a point where our God is bigger than COVID and we need to live like it. I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about this church. Wisdom and peace. Wisdom and peace. So, shaking happens in the church and we start exposing stuff in the church that doesn't belong there. Fear does not belong in the church. Wisdom does. Amen? Perfect love cast out all fear. So if we want to be a church where fear doesn't exist, we got to operate in that perfect love and experience that and let it grow in us so that we have it at home. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love it. The king, the, the rule, the reign, the dominion of God doesn't get shaken. Hell can do everything it wants to do, and in heaven they just laugh at it. 
And we need to learn the value of a victorious laugh. When I first started praying Psalm 91 in here, one day I came in and all I could do in here was laugh. And I finally said, God, what's going on? He said, you're just laughing the laugh of victory. You came to pray or the proclaim Psalm 91. It's done. Laugh. So I just laughed for a while, feeling really foolish by myself, but it's just me and God, so it didn't matter, right? Next day I came in and did the same thing. Then I'm back to proclaiming Psalm 91 over us in the community. The kingdom of heaven things are secure and safe. And God's trying to reveal to us in our lives and into the church's life what it is we should value and what it is we want to go after because this temporal stuff will fall off. I have a pastor friend that's got 35% of his people back from when they closed down church. I've read on church leaders, I think it was, but they expect 30% of the people who used to come to church not to come back after churches open up from COVID. And it's like, what's up? The shaking is going on in lives and people are going to be confronted with their values and what they love and what they don't love. And it might as well be out for them to see as to play the game and not see it, right? And the same for churches. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Why are we thankful when we go through shakings? Because we're getting rid of the unnecessary temporary earthly stuff that Satan gets his fingers all into our lives with, and we get more and more fixed on the kingdom that gives life to us. Amen? That's what we're about, is life. Jesus came to give us Zoe, the life of God. Whether there's COVID, whether there's lawlessness, listen, there are people who are going to die today because they named the name Jesus. And they're going to die with a heart that is happy. Back in Reformation times, they had to start cutting out people's tongues because they were glorifying God as they were being burned or drowned. Stephen looked up and seen Jesus. There's a grace that comes on us when we are called to give our lives for Jesus. Let us be thankful. The more you walk through shakings, the more thankfulness you ought to get in your life because God is purifying you. Your abiding in Jesus is going to be a lot more pure than it has been. And so we worship God. Oh, there's even worship connected with this. That as we focus on the kingdom and the other kingdoms fall off of us, we become thankful and we become worshipers. Acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I believe there is coming to the churches around the world a revelation of God that's going to put us in reverence and awe like we don't know. It's going to put us on our faces before him. And if you don't know your Heavenly Father very well, you might want to run out the door. But for those who know their Heavenly Father, they're just going to get on their face and love on him and say, this awesome God's my daddy. So I don't want to be cocky and say, bring it on, Lord, because he's so much bigger than me. He could bring on stuff I can't handle yet. Sometimes, and we've talked about it just a little bit, spiritual shifting goes on, or God shows up, and there's a physical reaction to it on earth, like earthquakes, okay? Sometimes there's spiritual shifting that happens, and there's no sign of it physically at all, okay? Sometimes there's earthquakes, and there's no spiritual significance to the earthquakes, so we can't just draw up these lines. Whenever there's an earthquake, what was God doing in the earthquake? Sometimes it just happens 
because earthquakes happen, right? When the Rockies were formed, or the way they say the Rockies were formed, there's, you can read Genesis with two creations in it, you can read Genesis with one creation. The church is all over about that. I don't care what you believe. But the plates on the earth in the Rockies, one slid under the other and pushed it up. It's a picture of what happens spiritually. Things are moving spiritually around us. I woke up last night about 4 o'clock and I laid there with God for a little bit and all of a sudden this big wind came and and I go, getting windy out there. God says to me, it's a night of spiritual shifting because of all the prayer that happened yesterday in Washington. In Frederick, there's a church that got together community people to pray. In East Boardman, there was a church that got together to do some praying yesterday. There were people just praying at home all by themselves, repenting and calling on God to touch our country. And last night, things were moving in the spirit realm because normal people that aren't super spiritual people were just praying yesterday and asking the Father for his will to be done. See, we didn't have earthquakes. But there was a wind that blew last night that got my attention that God spoke to me about. And I wasn't thinking anything about it when that happened. So here's a couple other times in the Word where spiritual shifting happens and earthquakes happen. A couple of these you recognize, like the first one, when Jesus is on the cross and he died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from into from the top to the bottom. That curtain was, depends on who you read, anywhere from six inches thick to two feet thick. Okay, how easy is it going to be to rip an eighth of an inch curtain in your house? Just, I can't do it. I don't know about you guys. You take a towel, you want to rip it in two. You usually take a little scissors and pop a thing on the edge so you can rip it easier, right? The thing I find interesting is in this is that the curtain ripped, but the hooks to the curtain didn't pull out of the walls. Okay, because when you're talking a curtain that thick, that curtain's got a ton of power, especially if it was a two-footer. You can rip it. So it had to be God. This curtain sets between the holy place in the temple and the holy of holies. The holy of holies is where God dwells, right? High priest goes in there once a year, offers the sacrifice of atonement. They put bells on his robe and a, and a rope on him in case he's not purified enough so they can drag him out if he dies. Because if you go in there without the proper cleansing, you're going to die. Nobody else goes in there. Well, the priests are operating and doing their stuff in the in the holies, in the room of the holies, and that curtain splits, and automatically they are exposed to the awesome presence of God. Because Jesus just died on the cross with all of our sins, our shame, and our guilt, and he paid for it. And that division of sin was no longer there anymore to keep us out of God's presence. It was paid for. The earth shook. How about that? The greatest spiritual divide that happened in mankind's history just happened and the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs opened up and the bodies of holy people who died were raised to life and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. Would that be weird or what? If my dad and my brother and my sister-in-law and Belly and some of those people came out of the tombs and came and talked to us. I want to tell you, I'd have a list, a long list to ask them about stuff. But weird. But it was a spiritual shifting 
shaking going on. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, even the Gentiles caught on to this, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Shaking reveals God. Haggai, it's his glory. Exodus, he shows up on the mountain, it shakes. He shows who he is. People got a choice to make. Jesus' death. Even the Gentiles started to have to choose who they were going to pursue. What's truth? What's not truth? There was a violent earthquake. This is the resurrection. Well, the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, and he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. What just happened? Death and the grave were conquered, right? Resurrection. Is that a physical thing or is that a spiritual thing? Well, it's a spiritual thing that affects the physical, right? But when it happened, what happened? Earthquake, bam. Power of God comes down, hits the earth. Once again, not every earthquake is a sign of something spiritual happened. And not every time something spiritual happens means there's going to be an earthquake. Okay, you got to be discerning and ask God what's going on. What does dividing do? What does this shaking do? Back to Moses. Then Moses said to him, and this is after Moses went up on the mountain. They built the golden calf. Moses comes down, throws the Ten Commandments on the ground that God just spoke to the people before. And God says, I'm not going with you, Moses. I'm going to send some angels in front of you, and they're going to wipe out your enemies, and you will have your vision, and you will have the promised land, and everything will be great, except that Moses was a man with a heart for God. So verse 14, God says to him, okay, my presence will go with you. Because Moses said, you know, these are your people, and if you're not going, God, I'm not going. I'm going to stay here at Mount Sinai where you are. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And what else will distinguish, set apart, separate, or divide us from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's the question Cosprings has to ask itself constantly. What distinguishes us? separates us, makes us different. Where's the divide happening? It's when we value the presence of God enough that we ask those questions and we come before him with it. And I want to tell you, we have the presence of God here, and it's full of peace, but it's not nearly all the presence. There is so much more. And God knows. I tell him, thank you for what you've given us. People come in here and they came into the old church and talk about the peace that lives here. And I'm thankful for that. But I know there's more. And I'm not content. The new leadership team is going to have to fight with that because I won't be in authority over this church anymore in, in that sense. What else distinguishes you from your neighbors, from your workplace people? What makes you different? It's a question we've got to ask. There might have to be some shaking in our lives for that presence to show itself. Malachi. I hardly ever go to Malachi to preach. The first verse here I just included because it's such a cool verse. Okay? I love this verse. It's getting up there to one of my favorite verses. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And what happens when people who love God talk to each other? The Lord listened. 
I just think that's cool. We're here at the church this morning. We're going to talk about God. God's listening. But more than that, a husband and wife go to bed at night and they're tired and we're out, but they take enough time to talk about God to each other, with each other. What happens? God's listening. You meet a friend and you talk about God. You don't know it, but God's listening. Isn't that cool? Little old you, who the earth doesn't care to listen to anything you say, but the Almighty God stops and listens. And a scroll or a book of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Today, heaven is busy recording what's going on in churches. 17. On that day when I act, says the Lord, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you again will see the distinction, the setting apart, the separation, the dividing between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. The shaking produces distinguishing. The top of that verse, when I act, when I shake, there's a whole reason behind this whole thing of shaking going on. And the last one I can't leave out. And I don't understand much about it, but it's cool. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, where did we look at last week in Ephesians 2, 6? What did it say about us? We are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. And where was Christ seated? Ephesians 1, on the right side, the right hand of God, above all powers and principalities and rulers and all that stuff. Here he's seated on a throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He starts out, he talks about nations. And what are nations? Nations are people, right? Individual people. And Jesus is on the throne and he's separating people and nations. And he will put sheep on his right and goats on his left. The great divide. Yeah, this is talking about end times, but it's happening now too. Just not for eternity with us. God is separating his church. He's separating churches that will move with him for a harvest and churches who are filled with their theology and filled with their tradition and they're filled with their form and they can't move. They're rigid. They love that stuff more than they love Jesus. The church in Ephesus in Revelation, was one of those churches. They lost their first love. See, when pleasure, when the Father's pleasure becomes more important to you than your pleasure, you're willing to be shaken and changed. In fact, you invite it into your life. But if Jesus is nothing more than a get-out-of-hell card, get me into heaven, part of my pleasure package I carry here on earth and i got to have him so I feel better about eternity, Harvest doesn't mean much to you till after it starts to happen and the Spirit of God's loosed and he starts coming after you. Amen? That's what I believe God said about what's going on in the earth now and to tell the church. And next week I go up to Ishmael and I got to preach this sermon up there at Ishmael at Father's heart. So God invites you. See, this whole thing is because Daddy loves you. Daddy's not left. Daddy is not content to leave you living a life that is distorted because of Satan's lies 
in your life. And one of the biggest things I believe that's going to happen in this move of God is truth is going to invade the lies that mankind believes. In churches, but in generations of families that have been there for 10 generations and mindsets have come on them that are not heavenly. And I'm talking Christian. Of course, they're in the world's. And God's going to free us up. And we're going to learn to take captive thoughts that we never thought about, but God is very concerned about. That hold us back from being all we can be in the kingdom of heaven here, let alone when we get there. Because when we get there, all that stuff's gone. Addictions are going to fall off church people. And the church is full of it. And I'm not talking about alcoholism and drug addiction and sex addicts. I'm talking about self-centeredness selfishness, pleasure, comfort that we live with destroys our families, destroys our marriages, all that stuff. And it happens in churches all the time because we're in control. We got this addiction to me being in control of my life and your life. When God comes and says, drop it all and just come and follow me and walk where I walk with me. And we'll grow in intimacy together. And we'll grow in understanding life together. And you will fulfill every purpose I created you to fulfill here on earth. But you can only do it when you trust him enough to walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. And there's fear all around you. But you choose to look at your shepherd. Amen. We're going to pray. Then I want to turn it over to the tab. And Di's going to come up here. Little did we know, 44 years ago, when we got married, although I told her, if you marry me, someday you might be a pastor's wife. I really hope it doesn't happen. But mom wouldn't let it drop. I was just thinking how young we were, and we jumped into a youth group and started a youth group, and God did crazy things with that, and we were, we didn't know nothing. We had a church out in the country and had 40, 60 kids coming, none of them from a Christian home, all kids from unchurched homes. And today there's some of those that are in the second, third generation now of Christianity and raising families for God. It's cool. Because two little kids from northern Michigan went out and did something that scared them but knew God was telling them to do it. And others came and joined us. It wasn't just Di and I because we could have never handled that. Dwayne and Drew were driving buses and kids came and then they had kids on their bus who told the other kids they were coming. You know, it wasn't a, would you like to come? It was like, you will be there. We will pick you up at such, such time and you're going to be here. And I'm going through the deepest desert of my spiritual walk with God and I'm the one who does the Bible studies. I should have caught on what God was doing, but sometimes Brent's not real bright. And I said, said, whoa, God, that's enough. We're not going to that place. But anyhow, you've been such a good congregation to us and loved us. Part of my reason I didn't want to become a pastor is because I've seen the way my dad and other pastors were treated. And I said, why would a person give themselves to pastoring when you give your life away to people and they turn around and they stomp on you? And you guys haven't done that. There's been a couple that have done it. But most people haven't done it. And so it gives me a heart for pastors who give their lives away to have people turn around and go after them. 1,700 pastors a month resign from the pastorate. Heartbreaking. Now, there's a lot of different reasons that go into that, okay? But you guys have been wonderful to us. 
and upheld us and loved us and cared for us and should have got rid of me a long time ago and you'd just be patient with me and let me grow up. So thank you. It's been our delight. I am really looking forward to the new pastoral team taking over. God is in this thing. He had me eight years ago when I didn't know what I was doing, but he said to start this stuff. And I didn't even know where we were going with it, but we started to do it. And God has raised them up and they have been faithful and they have served me for some of them for a lot longer than eight years. And so now it's my turn to serve them. And this whole thing in America is you got to get the old pastor out so the new ones can go on, I think is of hell. And I think the new pastor needs to humble himself and serve them. And the new ones need to honor the old man or the old lady. And we need to get along. And, you know, Church of Christ, Dan and Andy Bratton, it's the way it happened. And I can tell you horror stories about other churches where it didn't happen. So, anyhow, thank you. We love you. We ain't going anywhere. We're going to stay here. My job, as I said the other Sunday, I'm going to be out there as a greeter. That's my job. Self-appointed. They haven't kicked me out yet, so I'm going to do it until they kick me out. I've been told I'm going to do some other things, and so we'll see how that all works out. I'm a relational apostolic leader here, which means not apostolic in the sense of Paul, Peter, and those, but what apostolic is in the Roman culture where we Paul and those guys were called apostles where they took the culture of Rome to the newly conquered land and they changed or tried to change culture. So apostolic is fatherly and apostolic is trying to bring heaven on earth. That's been my passion since God nailed me in Toronto back in 95, which I'd have never become a pastor if God wouldn't have met me in a new way out there and that was just after my long harsh desert and I would go through that long harsh desert again to get another revelation of God like I got there so cool so die you want to come up and tab will give you guys instructions